thank you for worship and praise. Thank you for the ability to move our souls and our hearts, to remind us after a perhaps a difficult and hard week, and maybe a week where we've had our eyes cast down instead of cast up to greatness and glory, that we can come and be reminded that you, our God, you are greater, you are stronger, you are healer, you are awesome. Lord, if there's ever a time to be reminded of how great you are, your power to heal, the ability for us to stand against, then it's, it's today with this lesson. Perhaps one of the most difficult lessons, one of the most difficult truths or commands to obey in Scripture. And I pray, Father, that you will open hearts, that you will speak my heart, that you will enable me, that you will enable us to do that which is supernaturally only supernaturally possible and is humanly impossible. Lord, perhaps the hurt and the concerns and the burdens of today are caused by relationship. I pray, Lord, that today's truth would be applied. You would get the glory. Pray this in the great and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Boy, isn't it a great day today? I'm expecting such great things from God. And I hope you are as well. Look in your notes. Uh, you, you guys, you don't need to be told this, but uh, there are b- two basic rules for handling those who hurt us or hate us. Uh, first of all, uh, if, if anybody that's never been hurt can just go ahead and dismiss themselves, this lesson will have no relevance to you if you've never been hurt. And, uh, uh, and, and, and let's be honest, hurt often is rooted and is hurt rooted in hate. And so there's two basic rules. Uh, for handling those who hurt us and hate us. And the first is there in your notes. It's the get even rule. Now, this is the rule. You didn't, no one had to teach you this rule. Uh, you knew this from early on. The get even rule is this. Do to others what they do to you. Do to others what they do to you. Or even better, the get even rule becomes this. Do it to them before they do it to you. Now, how many, well, don't raise your hand, but how many of you live this way? How many had this written over your life? I mean, you tried to get the the license plate company to put it on your license plate. Do it to them before they do it to you. Uh, Well, I want to show you a couple videos of this type of get even, the get even rule and how it plays out even at an early age. So let's uh, let's take a look at this. Vic, if you get those lights and and uh, let's take a look at this, see if you can relate. And it goes longer. That's the coach in the background. True male oblivious to the Not so hard now. get out of Now, that's, that's, I just thought that was hilarious. Now, you know, if I could have planned, you can leave those off for a minute. If, if I could have planned that for myself, you know, it would have just, you know, one of the kids would have just socked the kid and knocked him down. But it didn't go that right. But it did, you know, it started out, hey, this is funny. Then it got a little more intense. And then, then it got a little longer. And then the one kid wanted more leverage and went on top. But the fact is, the get even rule. Now, let me, let, we, we do that as kids, right? He hit me. Why'd you hit him? What's the answer? 
He hit me. Okay, now, it happens as adults, even in the boxing ring. Now, please take very careful watch this. Watch this. 거든요. 카를리라고 하는 선수의 어떤 위대한 업적이라는 부분을 생각한다면 아직까지는 그것에 좀못 미치지 않나라는 생각이 들긴 합니다. 아, 그러니까 일제라고 붙었군요. 네, 네 그렇죠. 어, 사실 이제 이런 일본 언론들 잠깐만요. 아, 이것은 어... 좀 경기 시작 전인데요. 지금 굉장히 날카로운 시스링을 좀 심리적으로 건드린 것 같은데요. 인사를 했나요? 입술로 인사를 했습니다. 아, 지금도 레프리가 불러들여서요. 그 상황에서 페이스 페이스를 하고 있는 상황이었거든요. 얼굴 마주보고 있는데 여기에서 상대 선수에 대한 주의나 여러 가지 부분에 주의사항을 내는데 눈싸움을 하다 말고 갑자기 키스를 했어요. The get even rule. Oh, okay, you're my enemy. Let me, let, let's kiss and make up. Pow! You know, and, and then kind of walk around going, shrugging your shoulders, going, I don't know. Sorry, I, mean, I, I didn't have anything to do it. Now, if you keep applying this get even rule, then something like this can happen in your life. <laughs> okay, you got to play that again. That's just, that's just unbelievable. Oh, yeah, this is what happens when you do the get even rule. Oh, kapow. All right, all right. Okay, you know, what, what goes around comes around, okay? That can happen to you. Now, the golden rule is, was taught to us by Jesus, and this is the other way for handling those who hurt you or hate you. And here's the golden rule. You know it. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. Do to others what you would want them to do to you, but even better, do for them what God has already done for you in Christ. That Just like the get even rule has a greater intensity, I'm not only going to do to you what you do to me, but I'm going to do it to you before you do it to me. Well, so does the golden rule. Ultimately, the golden rule is not only do to others what we would want them to do to us, but even better, do for them what God has already done for you in Christ. And that's exactly what we see in Romans 12. So turn your Bibles to Romans 12, 17 through 21, and we see this explanation of how to handle those who hurt you or hate you. And as you turn to Romans 12, 17 through 21, we're going to look at verses 17 through 21. Remember where we are in the book of Romans. Romans 12 begins to explain what it is to glorify God's mercy to us. How do, I, how do I give God the glory for his mercy shown to me on a daily basis? And in Romans 12, 1 and 2, we saw the first way to, to glorify God's mercy to us is by worshipful living, being living sacrifices in his service. And then we saw last week in verses 9 through 16 that the way we glorify God's mercy to us is by showing mercy or merciful living to one another. And last week we learned 12 ways, concrete ways to show mercy to one another. Well, now we're expanding that and learning how to show mercy to our enemies. So let's look at Romans 12 and let's read verses 17 through 21. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, leave, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, as you read through this passage, have you ever been hurt by someone unfairly? Have you ever been hated by someone unjustly? If not, then again, these verses just don't ring true to you. But if you have, 
then as you read these verses, you're, you're like, whoa, that really smacks me right across the head. I mean, that really pushes me in a direction that's opposite of what I feel. This lesson is going to help you if you have ever struggled in loving those you'd rather hate. If you've struggled with knowing how to do right when you've been done wrong, then this lesson is for you. Some of you are going to walk out of here this morning and your whole world is going to be transformed. You're going to find freedom and you're going to find release and you're going to finally have peace down in your soul where no one else can touch or get to and you can't get there either. Only God can get to that. You're going to be set free. Others of you are going to hear this And it's going to go out one ear and out the other. You're going to create barriers and defenses and reasons of why it won't work in your life. And you're going to leave here still in bondage. But the opportunity is for victory today. Let's begin. We got to put this passage into perspective. So let me give you four points, help you put this passage in perspective. The first is this. This passage we just read refers to being hurt or hated due to Christ-likeness not to our own foolishness or sinfulness, okay? If, if people are your enemies because you're a jerk, then the, 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 the problem's, you know, on you, okay? This passage isn't talking about that. It's not talking about my own sin and how people have turned against me because of my sin or my foolishness. It's because of being like Christ. First Peter, First Peter 4.14 sums up the perspective really well. If you're insulted... For the name of Christ, because you're Christ-like, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So the idea is the passage not talking about being hurt or hated. It's talking about being hurt or hated. Because you're like Christ. And it's not your foolishness. It's not your sinfulness. It's the foolishness and sinfulness of others towards you that is causing the hurt and is the result of the hate. It's talking about hate that comes from those whose hearts are not right with God. Second point. This passage focuses on enemies who are outsiders, but it applies to all people, even insiders. Okay, so the passage is talking about all people, believers and unbelievers. It's focused more on unbelievers. Why? Because it comes right after uh, 9 through 16. And, and, and here's the assumption. If we're applying that among ourselves, then we're, we, we shouldn't have, you know, be hating one another, hurting one another. And we should be so much like Christ that others then resent us and, and come ask. But as we saw last week, In this whole passage of 12, it goes from believers to unbelievers to believers to unbelievers. And why is that? Because life is messy, we learned last week. Life is messy and sin blurs the lines between friend and foe, between enemies and family. Jesus warned us that he didn't come to unite but to divide. And gospel-centered living will often bring division between friends and family. So, So here's the idea. Who is your enemy today? Who is that person that, when, as soon as you saw the topic, you knew, oh no, I'm going to have to be thinking about them this morning. Who is that person that when I say you have been hurt, who is that person that you're thinking of? Who is that person who has shown more hate to you than more love? Now, more than likely, it's a friend. More than likely, that person may even be a family member. And sadly, it's even possible that it's someone who professes to be a brother or sister in Christ. And that's just the reality of it, and this passage will help you with that. Point number three is this. It applies to personal relationships, not national responsibility to protect against enemies. It applies to personal relationships. See, somebody look at the golden rule, and they get all excited and they get elected to or uh, appointed to the United Nations and they think wow if this worked for Jesus let's apply it to uh let's apply it to our enemies let's just let's let's apply it to the situation in the middle east let's apply it to iran or north korea let's just let's just love and get along and uh, assume the best out of everybody no this is for personal relationships 
not national responsibility. You say, how do you know that, Chris? Because Romans 13 follows right after this. The next chapter is Romans 13 where it says the government, the state, wields the sword of authority to punish evil and to reward good. So this is on a personal relationship. This is not what we want our government to do toward our enemies. What do we want our government to do toward our enemies? Protect us and defeat them, right? But I will say this, a country, a state, or a government that is influenced by the virtues of Christianity will treat their enemies, even in war and especially in defeat, with greater grace, greater forgiveness, and greater kindness. So there is a way to fight war that is just and is humane and can even glorify God. And there's, especially when there's great examples of this is Abraham Lincoln. I love reading about Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln and the way he treated the South, he refused to execute revenge. We've won. It's over. We move on. Forgiveness and kindness. Try to restore the South. And see what that got him. Then I also think of America and how we treated Japan after the war and even Germany. And we rebuilt those nations. And uh, and there are uh, Japan, they're both. I mean, there are allies. And so it does work even in the national realm, but only after you've defeated them, okay? But that's not how you do it on the personal level. Number four, point number four to put this passage in perspective is this. It presents merciful living. It presents merciful living for those who have received God's mercy in Christ. It's not an unrealistic ideal. This is for those who have received God's mercy in Christ. Yes, yes, God's way of handling those who hurt or hate us goes against our nature. But we have a new nature in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. We are living sacrifices in Christ. And we are not only expected but required to fulfill these commands. Some of the most difficult in Scripture. Because these commands, you're like, oh, these are easy, these are easy. Until it comes to your hurt. Until it comes to your hate. Until it comes to the ones who are hating you, who are hurting you. And then it's like, well, let's just uh, kind of reevaluate this and uh, find all sorts of loopholes. We'll talk more about that. But I want to say this. What we're about to learn is impossible for the unsaved person to apply in a manner that is pleasing and acceptable to God, in a manner that will bring glory to God. An unsaved person simply can't do it. Although, sadly, many times they come closer to it than even many professing Christians. But the reality is this. If you're a believer this morning, this is not only doable, it's required. And here's my, my main point. Those who delight in giving God the glory he deserves will determine to give others the mercy they don't deserve. Say that again. If we delight in giving God the glory he deserves, then we will determine this morning, I will give others, I will give my enemies the mercy that they don't deserve. So let's find out how to do that this morning. How to handle those who hurt or hate us. We're just, there's a lot of ways you could outline this, a lot of cool things in this passage. But we're just gonna, I'm just going to give you five principles. We're going to move through these five verses, a principle for every verse. And here it is. Resist your instinct for revenge. The very first thing you do, don't be like the kids hitting the helmet. Okay, don't be like the guy when you get kissed. Well, maybe, I don't know. It just anyway, the point is, don't, don't return tit for tat. Okay, uh, look at the verse again, verse 17. Repay no one. Repay no one. I, I don't see it. There's no star in my Bible. You know, you may write one in, an asterisk that says, no one except, and then you write the name of your enemy, okay? I mean, you'll have to write it in because it's not in there. It says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Two great pr principles that are, are, are shown to us here. First of all, our, our natural reaction is what? Our natural reaction is what? When people hurt or hate us. Get even, repay evil for evil. Exactly. If someone throws something in your face, if, if all of a sudden, Chris, and I just took this and... 
But you did blink. You did blink. You know, if somebody's going to go throw something in your face, what do you do? Ah, you cover. You, it, you don't think, oh, cover my face. No, you do it. It's natural. If someone, if you, if you lose your balance and you're beginning to fall, what's the natural reaction when you begin to fall? Yeah, put out your, your hands in order to brace yourself. You don't have to think it. It's instinct. Well, listen, the, the same is true when someone hurts you unfairly or hates you unjustly. You don't have to think about it. You just immediately go into a mode of, boom, you naturally react with revenge and retaliation. We seek to hurt them or we run from them and say, I will never be around them again, or we begin to hate them back. You see, revenge is our natural reaction. Uh, and, and, and it's amazing how many phrases, you know, tit for tat. And then we can even, even us Christians, we get pious about it and we quote scripture. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. God said it. I'll do it. Uh, settle the score. Uh, here's a great one. Don't get mad. Get even. Do unto others before they do unto you. Payback is... A, oh, no, no, no. Don't, don't fill that one in. You know what that one is. And uh, you know why people say it. Now, that's our natural reaction. We don't need to dwell on that. We already do that. We may be doing that right now. What is our merciful response? Notice he contrasts the natural reaction with a merciful response. What is the merciful response? Our merciful response should do what is most honorable in the sight of all people. Now, let's break that down. Look in that verse, and I'm using the ESV so you can take a look at it. It says, but give thought. Now, stop right there. That is a profound application right there. Because when the get-even principle requires no thought, except when you really get even, then you do a lot of thinking about it. But, but it's all based on the natural reaction that has already come. You don't have to think on this. It just comes. And in fact, the, better you, the more you do it in your life and the more the pattern in your life, you get better at it and quicker at it. But he says, Give thought. Give thought. We are to thoughtfully respond, not impulsively react. Here's the basic thought. Rarely, when you are hurt by those who hate you, you are attacked. Rarely is your first reaction the right one. Agreed? So, whatever the first reaction is, you can almost guarantee that's not God or the Holy Spirit talking to you unless you're just really more spiritual than me, and and then you you don't need this lesson, and you come up and testify how to do that. And I'm sure we can get to that, that response over time. But the reality is our first reaction is probably not the right one. So you stop, and you say, I'm going to think about it. I'm going to pray about this, because here's the deal. I've got to get in tune with the Spirit. I've got to get into the Word of God. I've got to get wise counsel so that I can respond thoughtfully rather than react impulsively. I cannot emphasize this thought. It requires thought. It requires Jacob wrestling with God and saying, God, this is what I want to do. This is what I want you to do. And God says, no, this is what I have done for you, and this is what I want you to do to them. Now, what do we give thought about? To do what is honorable in the sight of all. To do what is, it's literally to do what is good, but here in the context, it's, it's what is good, what, what everybody else would say is good. Now, this is really radical. Do, it doesn't say do what is honorable in your sight, in the sight of your buddies that agree with you, okay, against your enemies. It's not, we don't take a poll in the church. It's also honorable in the sight of all people, even unsaved people. Now, some commentators, some people freak out thinking that Paul says we should consider what unsaved people might think about our response. But you've got to remember the context. See, this is all about witnessing for God. This is about glorifying God's mercy in the marketplace. This is about glorifying God's mercy in Christ in our relationships. And so we got to think through this and say, what would be, what would, er, if anyone saw or heard me respond, would they say, wow, that was good. That was honorable. I don't know that I could do that. How'd you do that? Here's what I would have done in that situation. That's the idea. You see, listen, listen to me. It's easy to live for the Lord when everyone loves you and treats you nicely. But it's hard. It is hard. 
It is hard to live for the Lord when people are hurting you unfairly and hating you unjustly. This is when our testimony is put to the greatest test. This is when I have to say, God, I am a living sacrifice. I I don't have to struggle with whether I should do this. I've already said I would do this. The struggle is you're going to have to enable me. You're going to have to give me wisdom because, be quite honest, even if I wanted to treat them right, they're doing me so wrong, I don't know how to do it. This thing is so convoluted and, and crazy, I don't know which way I'm going and which way I, what I should do. Now, here's the question to ask. And you go before Jesus, and he helps you answer this. The Spirit will lead you. What is the most honorable way to respond to the hurt and the hate? What is the most honorable way? Let me give you some questions, and you can go to uh, glenwoodconnection.org. You can re-listen to the lesson. I would encourage you to do that. Here's some questions. Would godly Christians view my response as glorifying God and being good for others? Could lost people misunderstand my response as being hateful or getting even? If so, I may need to reconsider that. But it's not just about what people think. What would still honor God? even if others misunderstand my response, because here's the reality. Sometimes what God wants us to do will be misunderstood by everyone, but it still honors God. See why we need God's help? Why we need to think it through, pray it through? How does this respond defend my own honor more than making much of God's honor? There's a How much am I motivated by God's honor versus my own hurt or hate? See, we can say we're doing it for God's honor, but the motivation can still be my hurt and my hate. There's a tough one. But the word of God divides between that, you know, the the soul, and it'll show you our motives. Does my response bring greater honor to God and others rather than greater honor to myself? And here's a good one. What do wise Christians advise as being the best response? That's what you got to think through. That's what you got to pray through. That's what you got to struggle through. And then, and only then, are you ready to respond in a way that's thoughtful and honorable. Resist the instinct for revenge, number one. Number two, pursue a lifestyle of peace. Pursue a lifestyle of peace. This is the next verse. This is the next principle. Verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. This idea of pursuing peace is all throughout Scripture. In fact, it's again in Romans 14. You have the verse in your notes. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Hebrews 12, strive, fight for peace. Now there's an oxymoron. Fight for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Listen, this isn't uh, Neville Chamberlain, World War II kind of peace. Peace at any price, peace at any cost. It's peace with holiness. It's a peace that would be pleasing to God. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Pursue it, strive, seek, pursue. Okay, now this kind of verse, look again at verse 18 in your Bible. There in your notes from the ESV. This is the kind of verse that accountants and lawyers and legalists love because it appears to contain a loophole, right? They are always looking for loopholes, accountants, lawyers, and legalists, okay? Now, what's a loophole? What's a loophole? A way of getting out of doing what's required. Are we agreed? Okay, nod your head like you're cracking. Uh, What does this verse require? Okay, what's the requirement? Continually and it's in a present tense, continually pursue a lifestyle peace with all people, even those who hurt or hate you. You see why you want to, anybody want a loophole? Anybody like, yeah, come on, come on now. You want a loophole on that? Yeah, you bet you do, and I do too. Here's the loop, Here's the possible loophole. As much as possible, so far as it depends on you. Ah, there's my loophole. Well, maybe it is and maybe it's not. Let's take a look at it. First of all, what's the right way to deal with this verse? The right way to deal with this verse is focus on fulfilling your own circle of responsibility. Focus on fulfilling your own circle of responsibility. What you are... Now, you say, what's my circle of responsibility? Here it is. It's whatever God will hold me accountable for and not the other guy. 
It's what I can control, not what I can't control. It's what I'm responsible for, not what I'm not responsible for. It's what I can do and control versus I can't control the responses. And yet, what happens in conflict? What do we, what do we start focusing on? Controlling them. Managing them. Getting them to stop. Getting them to change. Well, guess what? You just jumped out of your circle of responsibility into a realm where you will get frustrated, chewed up, and spat out because you have no, that is not your responsibility. So here's the first thing you got to do with those who hurt you and hate you. Figure out what's my responsibility, what is their responsibility, and here's the most important, what is God's responsibility? And then you stay firmly within your circle of responsibility. Now, in this verse, my circle of responsibility is I need to, with God's help, by the mercies of God, pursue peace with these people continually and repeatedly. No loophole in that. Now, the NLT paraphrases this really well. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. That's your circle of responsibility. Do all that you can. Great paraphrase. Now, the wrong way to paraphrase this is the message. Listen to what the message says. Paraphrases are great when they're good. They're awful when they're bad. And only a a literal translation and a, a study of God's word will help you to know the difference. That was free. Here's the message. If you got it in you, get along with everybody. Now, with all due respect, I don't know what Gene was smoking when he paraphrased that. But if you got it in you, get along with everybody. Now, what's the loophole with that? Well, I ain't got it in me, Lord. I ain't got it in me. And what do we do with this loophole? I tried. I tried. The second you tell people to pursue someone who hurts or hates them, the first thing out of our mouths is I've tried that. Been there, done that. Won't work. And you know what this verse says? Doing it anyway. You keep pursuing peace. So the wrong way to deal with this verse is to focus on avoiding your circle of responsibility by seeing this verse as a loophole out of getting out of peace. Now, think again. I want you to make this practical and personal. Think about the person or group that has hurt you or hates you without cause. Now, think about that person. Think about that group of people, whoever they are. And then now you got to ask yourself the tough question. Am I continually pursuing peace with them as much as it depends? Am I continually pursuing peace as much as it depends on me? And am I repeatedly seeking to do my part to make peace? My part to ask for forgiveness? My part to give forgiveness? My part to reconcile, if at all possible. If you can answer yes to those questions, then guess what? You should have a clear conscience, and God is pleased, and you're fulfilling your circle of responsibility. Let me give you two principles that you have there in your notes. Peace is possible when you offer it and they accept it. That's when peace is possible. When you offer it and they accept it. A truce is called. The peace terms are accepted. And by the way, you do need to establish, you know, just because we're going to surrender, the enemy surrenders, you got to go through a process of establishing boundaries and peace terms. And you both agree on that. The war is ended. The weapons of hurtful words are laid aside and hateful actions cease. But look at this next principle. Peace is impossible when you repeat repeatedly offer offer it and they repeatedly reject it peace is impossible now here's a radical truth for some of us especially if you're a melancholy and idealistic person or you've been raised in a really uh, traditional uh, sense of christianity where everything's black and white this is going to freak you out what i'm going to say sometimes living peacefully with someone is impossible Sometimes living peaceably with someone is impossible. You continually pursue peace with them, but they reject it. They refuse to call a truce. They refuse to lay down their weapons of hurtful words or hateful actions. Now listen. Listen, listen, listen. You will never find peace 
trying to please those whose hard hearts are bent on revenge. You will never find peace, and God will not grant you. If you continually try to please those with hard hearts bent on revenge, pursuing peace is not the same as trying to please. Radically different. Now, Proverbs 16.7 might go against that. Listen to what Proverbs 16.7 says. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. If you're like me, so you'll, I'll read that and I'll beat myself up with that. I just need to be a little more spiritual. I, gotta, you know, I just got to get a little bit more like Christ. Oh, wait a minute. Christ's ways were totally pleasing to the Lord, and where did he get him? Got him to the cross. Got him to the cross. Proverbs are principles. They're not promises. Proverbs are principles. They're not promises. We'll see in a moment that when my ways are pleasing to God, I'll be kind to others, and that can and often does transform them, but it doesn't always. Your ways can still be pleasing to God in spite of it. So here's the question. Oh, and let me say this. Even though it got Jesus the cross, what was he still pursuing? Why did he go to the cross? To pursue peace with those who like him. What did he say on the cross even while they hated and hurt him? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Today you will be with me in pain. I'm telling you, you look to Jesus, you don't look to the world to figure these things out, and you look to him on the cross. The cross answers these questions. So here's the question. What is the most peaceful way to keep responding to those who hurt and hate us? What is the most peaceable way to respond to those? Well, here's, here's the radical thing. You can still live in peace. And you can still pursue peace even when your enemies repeatedly reject your offers of peace. How do I do that, Chris? Here's the answer. Keep praying for them. Keep praying for them. And here's the beauty. We're going to move to Philippians 4. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, even those who hate and hurt you. But in everything even those who hate and hurt you, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And guess what? What will happen? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Remember, we just said we got to be thinking Christ Jesus. I like Isaiah 26.3. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind stayed on you because he trusts. Second way to live in peace when others reject your offer of peace, keep doing your part. Keep doing your part to pursue peace with them. Now, Philippians 4, 6, and 7 gets all the, 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 the memorization time in Awanas. But Philippians 4, 9 follows right after 6 and 7. Listen to 4, 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Okay. Are you, are you, are you, man, the Word of God is awesome. I love the Word of God. Because it's all right there. You want the peace of God? Pray. You want the God of peace? Put feet to prayer. Are you with me? If you want the peace of God, then pray about those who hurt and hate you. But if you want the God of peace to move with you through this problem and, and in spite of this problem, then you've got to put in practice Christ's likeness and the God of peace. The Bible says it's not possible to live in peace with some people, but as much as it depends on you and is possible, pursue it, and the God of peace will be with you. If you've done all you can to pursue peace, and you're still willing to do your part to make peace, and if the door of your heart is always open, calling for a truce, and always willing to end the war, then you can live in peace knowing the God of peace is with you. Listen, don't you let Satan make you feel guilty for staying in your circle of responsibility. Don't you let Satan guilt you out of your circle of responsibility, and don't let Satan rob you of God's peace, even in the midst of hurtful, hateful relations. Only God can do these things. So resist your instinct for revenge, pursue a lifestyle of peace, and then I love this. When you pursue a lifestyle of peace, you'll be, be doing your thing so you can get out of God's way. I love that. Get out of God's way, 
Are you with me? It's like getting hot. Y'all are fanning. I'm getting hot. Turn the, Kirk, I don't think the air. Okay, the air's not. Note to Kim. Get the air. Get out of God's way. Look at verse 19. You're going to like this. Verse 19. This is the heart of the passage. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, I gave you my own translation there a little bit. I I don't do this often, but I, I think it's worth looking at. Beloved, it's not beloved of Paul. It's beloved of God. Stop avenging yourself. Stop doing it if you're doing it and then never do it again. Instead, leave room. And this is so cool. It says leave room for the wrath of God's not in the Greek. Leave room for the wrath. Uh, Christians don't have to ask who's what and what that is. Leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, if you doubt whose it is, mine is vengeance. That's how it's it's emphasized. Mine, mine is vengeance, not yours. I myself, not you, will repay, says the Lord. Now, let me give you out of this short verse of what God says, four reasons why we should get out of the way of God's judgment. Number one, his responsibility is vengeance. His responsibility is vengeance. Remember the circles of responsibility? Us. Theirs and whose? God's. Whose circle of responsibility is it to get revenge and repayment? It's God's. Now, see, it's popular today in our culture, and it's popu- It's growing more popular today to think that God's character has no vengeance in it. It is becoming popular to say, in the end, love wins. That love will trump God's wrath and vengeance. That's not biblical. That is simply not biblical. God is a God of wrath. God is a God who will execute vengeance. And you know what? That's comforting to Christians. Now, does that mean we get all excited? You know, and, and we like, oh, all oh, right, this is going to be good. You know, no, we don't, we don't get excited about that because we were, are worthy of the same wrath. And only by God's mercy, only by God's sovereign mercy have I escaped what he will pour out on me. So I don't revel in that. I don't rejoice in that. But I do this. I rest. I rest in it knowing I don't have to get even. God takes care of that. Now, here's the second reason. His judgment is better than ours. Leave it to him. Get out of his way. He's better than ours. And by the way, his mercy is greater than ours. So you may not always, just because God's going to do the judging, you may not like his judgment. Because what do we want for the, from the judge for ourselves? Mercy, what do we want for our enemies? Justice, and God's better than that. God's greater than that. Now, now let's stop and think about this. He is the Lord. He is the Lord who sent his own son to die on the cross for sins. He is the Lord. I just want you to capture this, and and, and listen, this is the heart of the passage. This is the the very thing that Satan doesn't want to get, so we got all sorts of distractions going on right now, and that's nothing but Satan wanting to get our our, our eyes off of what we really need to see, and here's the point. We simply are not enough like God to step in and fulfill his role as judge. And we are not sufficient to pour out his wrath on others. Get off his seat of judgment. Give it to the one who is worthy to sit there. Now listen to this. When it comes to judging others, see if you can identify with this. When it comes to judging others and punishing them for our sins, we're either too hard or too soft. Are you a too hard person or a too soft person? More than likely, you're one of those. And in different circumstances, you can be too hard and you can be too soft. Same thing with parenting. Okay? When it comes to judgment, we either act too quickly or too slowly. When it comes to judgment, our judgment is rarely long-suffering enough. And when it comes to mercy, our mercy is not abundant enough. See, we're just inadequate for this. So we need to just get out of God's way and let him do what he does best. And you know what we learned from Romans 9 and 10 and 11? He pours out wrath, but it's long 
And he shows mercy, and it's rich and abundant. Get out of God's way. He'll take care. Number three, his timing is perfect, and his judgments are unsearchable. His timing is perfect, and his judgments are unsearchable. Uh, it says, give room. In other words, wait patiently for it. Now, this wrath is ultimately the end-time wrath, the wrath at the final judgment. God will settle all accounts. But he does execute judgment, according to Romans, even here on this earth. Let me give you two quick examples. Herod and Saul were persecuting the church. Herod killed James. Paul contributed to the death of Stephen. Enemies. Hatred and hurt. Herod died. Struck dead, thinking he was God. Saul shown mercy becomes the Apostle Paul. How'd God decide that? Not my business. He's the judge. What did he do when he did it? Just, and he was merciful. He was long-suffering to one, and he was abundantly rich in mercy to the other. His ways are unsearchable. His timing is perfect. I'm just going to leave it to him. Fourth, his love for us can be trusted. His love for us can be trusted even when we're being hurt or hated. Whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is the heart of the matter. This is the heart of the matter. Paul, first of all, was a very wise man. Second of all, was inspired by the Holy Spirit. When I say inspired, he was led to write the very words of God. You think it's accident that God had him write in the center of this passage, beloved, agape, those who have, those of you who are loved with a sacrificial love that comes from God's sovereign choice of you, it comes from God's sovereign mercy on you, you are loved. Don't listen to your enemies. Don't listen to the hurt. Don't listen to the hate. Listen to me. You are loved. Look to the cross. You are loved. Renew your mind. Don't be conformed to this world, but with the renewing of your mind, you are loved. And listen, his love can be trusted even when we're being hurt or hated. We'll end today. That's as far as we're going to get today. Let me, let me end with a, a commentator, a, 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 a quote here. And I, you know, I don't like just reading out of commentaries. Good, they're good. When they can say it better than I can, they minister to my heart. I want them to minister. A guy by the name of Cranfield. His commentary on Romans. On this verse, here's what he says. The wrath of God was revealed in its full awfulness in Gethsemane and on Golgotha as the wrath of the altogether holy and loving God. To make way for this wrath, to give room to it, to make way for it, is to recognize that one deserves oneself to be wholly consumed by it. But the Son of God himself has borne it for me. It is therefore to have the vengeful sword dashed from my hand. If one is to continue to live by grace, then one cannot do other than make way for this wrath. To do otherwise would be to cease to live by grace. Isn't this see what he's saying? He's saying, look, to believe in the wrath of God is to make way and make room and to wait patiently for it. Grace re embraces wrath, makes room for it. Doesn't eliminate it. It patiently waits for it. Um, to give place to the wrath is to leave vengeance to God and the knowledge that he is the God who smites in order to heal. When we recall what God has done for us when we were enemies, Romans 5.10, we cannot but hope that his mercy will finally embrace those who are now our enemies. That is our hope, and it must happen before they die or Christ returns. There is no hope after death. There is no hope after the return of Christ. But as long as they breathe and Christ hasn't come back, there's hope that 
God's wrath may lead them to redemption. When we give place to wrath, says Calvin, John Calvin, only when we patiently wait patiently for the proper time for our deliverance, praying in the meantime that those who now trouble us may repent and become our friends. It certainly does not mean hoping and praying for God to punish our enemies. End of quote. Great quote. Great way to end. Because here's the deal. We're going to learn next two weeks. Next week, one service. Two weeks, we're going to come back and we're going to learn what it means to heap hot coals on the head of your enemies. Some think that means torture them, God, torture them. And here's one more to throw on their head. Others think it only means, oh, you know, show kindness to them and they'll repent. What does it mean? Come back next week to find that. Today, I know this. We've learned three principles of the five. And I think it, it, it's sufficient for us to dwell on this week. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. Think about that person, that group of people, probably a friend, maybe a family member, possibly even someone who professes to know Christ, and ask yourself, am I getting even? Or am I living by the golden rule? And am I doing these three things that we've learned today? Am I rejecting the natural instinct? Am I pursuing a lifestyle of peace that's within my circle of responsibility? As I wait and give room for God's responsibility, I get out of his way and leave the judging and the judgment. Isn't that good? Good stuff. By the mercies of God, we can live it out even with those who hurt and hate us. Let's pray. Father, we come, and I am glad for the owner's manual of life. I am glad that you filled your word, that even in the hardest of circumstances, I have a roadmap. I have your grace. I have your spirit. I have your love by which I can do natural. I can break the pattern of my heart. I can yield to the spirit, new heart given to me. I can look to the cross and courage. I can look to the cross, die to self, pick up my cross, and I can follow you, loving my enemy. I pray for each person here, wherever they're at, that we would apply the truth in our relationship. Then, Lord, we give you glory because it's your mercy to us that motivates and enables us to show mercy to And I pray your abundant mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.